When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ball don't lie right here on 1049 the horn. I'll admit I was just kind of jamming there for a second. I ain't gonna lie, I kind of caught up in it. Top of the charts Tuesday. That's when the idealionaire Patrick Davis uh, he takes jams that reach the top of the Billboard charts and play those for us. The top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. That's key. Top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. Uh, that's the jams you hear on top of the charts Tuesday. Ooh, never a bad time to break out the prints. We, I would say honestly. Patrick, based on the musically themed days of the week, and we're talking about Smooth Soul Monday, uh, Top of the Charts Tuesday, Midweek Movie Music, New Theme Thursday, and 512 Friday. I, I, I'm not, you let me know from off here. I want to say we've played more Prince than any other artist. I would say he's up there. The one that he's I'd, up there, right? I'd say it's up there. Michael Jackson might beat him out, though. Okay, it's possible. Yes, because cause he, he's on most yes. of those, he's on a lot of those days, too. I don't know if he has as much soundtrack. I think Prince may beat him in soundtrack songs. But he beats, I think you've played some MJ, maybe even like. Because I played I, Jackson played 5, on too. Smooth Soul, yeah. On Smooth Soul Monday, yeah. And Top of the Charts Tuesday, they also, yeah, you're right, MJ is probably in there. It's MJ and Prince. That was always a discussion, right? MJ or Prince? Yeah. Um, but You got to pick yeah. your side. I know that. I guess people want to pick that. Was like the, that was like the LeBron MJ debate yeah. and the, you know, the Tupac Biggie debate. You got to pick one. <laughs> and ultimately, those debates always said in the end, because they're all so great, obviously, at their crafts, uh, whatever it may be. In the end, it should be a, it's a preference. Like Biggie or Pac, it's a preference. Yeah. I don't hate on people who love Biggie more. I'm a Pac guy, but I get it. Yeah, no, it's, it's one of those things where I've seen, I see it a lot because I follow a lot of basketball stuff. The MJ LeBron thing, and you're like, man, if this is your personality, you need to find a new personality. Like, <laughs> it's it's fine to have an opinion one way or the other, but if you are constantly every day trying to find something to prove your point, find find something new, man. Find something new. Yeah. No, the MJ LeBron debate is like the that what is that graphic? Uh, the symbol of the serpent eating its own tail. Yeah. Uh, the the snake eating his tail. That's essentially yeah. 
That, that's that's what you deal with. I think it's oral boris. Maybe that's how you uh, you call it, that's how you describe it. But it is that's what it reminds me of because you never get to the end of it. it. Feels like we just over and over again. We just stay in the same cycle of the MJ Lebron debate. Uh, all right, uh, we'll debate some other things here in this segment. We're going to talk uh, about college football a little bit. SEC Media Days happening, so we'll hear from Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher was asked some questions at Big Twelve Media Days about the offense, about the Texas OU game, about play calling, uh, tampering with NIL, all those different types of things. So we'll play that sound and hear from Jimbo Fisher. Also, uh, I want to get to the uh, Greg Sankey comments because he commented on the NIL law, the new NIL law that uh, Texas passed not too long ago that Texas and Texas A&M may have different stances on, but Texas A&M has said they will follow the state law guidelines and they will adhere to those state, the state law and not the NCAA guidelines, I should say. Um, so that is a discussion right now uh, that is ha- being had in the state of Texas. And Greg Sankey, um, he provided uh, his opinion and his two cents on that issue. So we'll uh, read those comments as well. And then, and maybe I'll start off here, actually. I, I got just a little, it's not a beef. It's not a beef. It's just a critique. It's not a beef at all. So uh, the new sponsor for the Texas-Oklahoma rivalry game in in Dallas, it is now Allstate. I think they've probably been the sponsor before. I don't really pay attention to who the sponsor is. Uh, but they are the new sponsor, and the sponsor gets to choose the new title or whatever the title is going to be for the Texas OU game. And Allstate is going with the Red River rivalry. Yes, make sure you say it slowly. Because if not, it's uh, tough to say it five times fast. And if you had a little something to drink, it's even tougher to say the Red River rivalry uh, without sounding like an idiot. So I was never a fan of it. And I know most Longhorn fans, hell, I don't know a lot of Sooners, but I'm sure Sooners fans, not they don't really like that, that title. And they just call it the Texas OU game, and I get it. Um, but when I was working with Craig Ray, the voice of the Longhorns, who is, you know, uh, the gentleman and a scholar, uh, but also one of the most knowledgeable, witty individual I've ever been around. I was telling him my opinion about the Texas OU game, and I said, man, kind of reminds me of a street fight, right? The ru- there are no rules of engagement. All that's thrown out the window. Uh, it's just a straight-up street fight, and you got to get your mindset for that. And I remember that I said that Craig Way immediately kind of jumps in and says, that's what they should call it, the State Fair Street Fight. And I thought to myself, damn, that's good. <laughs> and Craig Way, I think, was going with the alliteration thing, too. Uh, State Fair Street Fight. And when I was playing, thanks to my man CB, sent me all of the different graphics from 20-plus years ago when I played. So I do feel extra old. Shout out to my man CB. Uh, that They called it the Red River Shootout. That is no longer politically correct because we know how insensitive it is to just throw out the term shootout these days because, honestly, there are way too many shootings, period. All right, so we don't just, you know, carelessly, disrespectfully, insensitively throw that term around. So we decided to get away from that and go with more progressive, politically correct terms or titles for the Texas OU game. And, honestly, I I, I don't know if I've ever heard a better – title um, for the Texas-Oklahoma rivalry than the State Fair Street Fright. It is apropos. It is fitting. All right? It brings up one of the most unique elements of it, which is the State Fair, because it's in the middle of the State Fair, and it also uh, evokes the, in my opinion, what is the the true kind of, you know, theme of that game from a player standpoint, and maybe even from a fan standpoint, that, man, it's a street fight. 
you know, the normal rules of engagement don't really apply. Uh, that's when, you know, you'll go out there, whether it's a fan, and you'll get some sooner talking trash to you. You might end up in an altercation. I know several Longhorn fans, and myself included, who have ended up in altercations just going down there to root on your team and cheer on your team. So everybody's got to deal with the street fight atmosphere of Texas OU. And that's why, since Craigway coined it, and I don't even know if he promotes it, I don't think he says that on air because I think he has to go with the official name which is Allstate Red River Rivalry now um, because he's a professional. But I'll pump it up for him. I think State Fair Street Fight is what it should be called. I'm going to call it State Fair Street Fight. That's what I've been calling it. That's what I'm going to call it. There yeah. you go. No, I, I agree with you. And this is what I said earlier. I don't think they realize that if you name it the Red River Rivalry, then people are not going to say the Allstate Red River Rivalry. They will say Texas OU. So I think it's silly as a company to name something that no one's going to say. So I, I get it. And I get everybody on the text line who uh, is mad that PC culture is the way it is. We didn't make it that way. It is what it yeah, is. So <laughs> so you get that we're saying this is the way it has to be because it, there's major businesses and major businesses do things that way. So I, I get it. I get street fight is not going to happen either because people don't want to put a street fight, even though there is the fighting Irish still. So I think fighting is Come technically on. okay. But uh, yeah, I, I don't. I, I like Texas. The, straight, the State Fair Street Fight is much better because it's just like I think what we really need to find is just a one word like Bedlam. Bedlam, I like. Just, yeah, because one word, we just say it and it's over. But you need something yeah. like that that you just go look. We know what it is, and if you call it this, or, or make it a bowl like the Iron Bowl is fine and stuff like that. I just, yeah, Red River Rivalry. It mm. just it doesn't sound right. I get that. I get that they're trying to say that it's the Red River and we're. But neither team cares about the Red River. It's not they really don't. pertaining to either team. <laughs> so I don't. No. I get that it's the it's all that mutual stuff. But yeah, I think you I think you just get rid of Red River altogether because it doesn't really mean anything to either team, and you start over from there. I'm not gonna lie. I love the that they just call it Bedlam. Like that that is pretty. It's cool. no, it's that a it's great name Bedlam. for something, right? Because when they yeah, say it, it and I I don't want to praise anyone from the state of Oklahoma. <laughs> But they nailed that one. Maybe they just pointed at a dictionary and didn't know what it meant, but they killed it on that one. <laughs> they did. And unfortunately, it's going away, ironically. Yeah. It's actually at Bedlam, at least for the time being. I but think it's, they're not as, gonna, as long as Mike Gundy's uh, around. Pretty. Well, I, I think he might be around for a long time. Uh, I don't think Mike Gundy's going any day. No, not with that uh, automatically renewing five year contract. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, right. That's just, like I said, it's not a gripe. Not that big a deal, but my critique, that's what I like to call it. Uh, okay, before we get to uh, Jimbo Fisher sound, uh, did want to uh, bring up, because I know a lot of Longhorn fans via Twitter have been trying to tease Aggie fans about the fact that the 2024 SEC Media Days will, for the first time in the history of the conference, be held in the state of Texas. That is now going to be a thing. It's going to be in Dallas in 2024, Texas and Oklahoma's first year in the league. And, of course, they're teasing Aggies to say, hey, Aggies, you've been in that league 10-plus years, and they never decided to have the SEC Media Days in Texas to, uh, you know, to mark your or celebrate you guys being a member. Aggies, I don't think that's the reason. I think they're now – celebrating the fact that they have basically majority share, majority market share of the state of Texas as a college football um, mecca. And if you're looking at, oh, was it 12, 13 FBS teams in Texas, Texas and Texas and a and probably have the largest market share of just 
um, influence overall, um, brand recognition overall, and then you divide it up after that. UTSA's got there a little bit. Texas Tech's probably got you know 10% here, whatever it is maybe. And I think that's what they're celebrating, that now we can plant our flag in the football mecca of America, which is Texas. And now because we have the two biggest college football brands in the biggest uh, football state in America. Um, and I think that's what they're celebrating. And I do think also it's strategic. Uh, you know, Greg Sankey's a smart guy, smart man. And I gave you guys the numbers. If you're looking at regions in America or states in America that produce the most NFL players, uh, most draftable NFL players, the DFW area would actually be fifth since 2020. You're looking at states or regions and areas that produce the most NFL players since 2020. Dallas would be fifth behind California, Georgia, Texas, and Florida. It would be higher than almost, it would be higher than 40, basically 45 states, <laughs> pretty much. That's how good DFW is in terms of producing draftable NFL players. And when you plant that SEC flag there in Dallas, you're going to get a lot of recruits' ears perking up going, okay, now Texas is SEC country. And, and it makes sense to have in Houston. Houston actually has been more of an SEC city than Dallas has. Houston is right there at the gateway of the SEC. There are SEC teams with offices in H-Town, my old hometown. But one thing I'll admit that all Texans have to admit now, Houston, which is, hell, Houston's in that time span also a top 10 area if you're looking at areas that produce the most NFL players per capita. Houston's top 10. It would be top 10 with all the other states out there, Houston and Dallas. That's why both of those are very fertile recruiting grounds. But for Dallas, the best football is being played there team-wise, and the best athletes now in the state of Texas are coming out of Dallas. And since they have influence in Houston already because they're so – LSU is big there and Bama's big there. Since they have that influence already there, why not go to Dallas, which actually is more Oklahoma's territory. Remember Bob Stoops, his retort – to Colin Cowherd when Colin Cowherd was saying Oklahoma could become the, the, the next Nebraska and become the next, you know, blue blood college football power that disappears. He said Colin Cowherd, the one thing he ain't really rec recognized and what hadn't really been able to quantify is they have a fertile recruiting ground that they basically call their backyard. Oklahoma has, in DFW and Dallas, there's no football program, including Texas, that can say they have a bigger presence in DFW, which is now the most fertile recruiting area, region, arguably in the country, period, <laughs> um, in terms of producing draftable NFL players. So I think it's more strategic that, hey, man, we need to get more of a footprint, more of uh, our fingerprints in the DFW area. It, it's so plentiful. And right now, and so fertile that it can support probably five, six college football programs. That's how fertile that small little area of DFW. I know it ain't small, you know, for us considering, but on the, the macro scale, talking about, you know, the country as a whole, that's a very small area that's producing a lot of great football talent. So there you go. All right, let's get into the Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher. Trust me, he's recruiting that area too. Let's get to uh, some of these Jimbo Fisher cuts at SEC Media Days. He was asked about a number of different topics. Uh, first, he was asked about the new look offense. They're going to have Bobby Petrino 
as the offensive coordinator now. We still don't know exactly what Bobby Petrino is going to do, but uh, they want to know exactly how the offense is going to look. Here is uh, the question at Big 12 Media. Uh, sorry, at SEC Media Days. Schematically, are we going to see the pros to see style under center play action or the Bobby Petrino four wide uh, power spread? Have you ever watched Bobby? Bobby's a lot of underneath play action. <laughs> no, but I'm not going to get into schematics and four wide. We do everything. We're not going to get into that. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and say exactly what we're going to do or how we're going to do it, but we'll have a good plan. We'll, and then the key is we've got to execute it and do it and get the ball to the right guys and the right playmakers and you know, be solid across the front, get the quarterback doing what he's supposed to do, and get to the playmakers and let them play. That's, that's, that's your goal on offense, and not turn it over and score points. Yep, there you go. Uh, so... <laughs> And I understand he wants to – he's not being cryptic, but he's not going to reveal too much. Why would he? Why would you tip your opponents off to exactly what the offense is going to look like? Um, You know, it'll be an amalgamation, uh, be a bit of a combination between whatever Jimbo Fisher believes, which I think is pretty antiquated and archaic (laughs) offensively, and what Bobby Petrino brings to the table. And I think it it definitely can work, no doubt. I I do believe Jimbo needs to give up most of that – creative control and play calling over to Bobby Petrino. I watched that Aggies offense and it was antiquated to say the least. And that's the reason they only averaged what 20, a little under 23 points per game. They were at 22.8 points per game. But guys, that's, that's 101st. The Aggies should not be 101st in scoring in college football any year. They're only 131 teams. They're only third. They're only Tell me, only 30 teams in all of college football that were worse. There are 100 offenses better than the, than the Aggies. That should not be the case considering what scale and level they're recruiting at. So I would give it over to Bayer Petrino. There have been a lot of people behind the scenes saying this could be very volatile. This could end up blowing up in Jimbo's face, and they may not even make it to the end of the season because both of these guys are very, very uh, con- they're control freaks. Right, kind of, and they they want things a certain way, which is basically their way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the Aggies could not keep going the way they were going because the defense actually has been more than adequate. They just get to the point where they're scoring a, a touchdown more per game. They're at what twenty two point eight a touchdown more per game. That'll put them right at twenty three. Sorry, thirty points. That's exactly where they need to be. They need to be hovering right around that thirty point mark uh, because right now, if you look at it, their defense. Not only keeping them in games, but, man, their defense actually has winning them games. And I think that's why it's crucial that this experiment work for the Aggies. If it does, they got a chance to, to shock a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's the question I would ask uh, of Jimbo right now is, is Bobby going to be on the field or in the, in the booth? Because I feel like yeah, there's way more room for fireworks if he's on the field. Because then he's trying to talk to a player, and then Jimbo's trying to talk to that player, and and I think Jimbo would prefer him to be up there, but we'll see if how they end up playing it. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't – I believe by Petrino, obviously, when he was coaching and calling plays, he was on the field. And some guys, as we know from Tom Herman's time here, Patrick, don't like the booth. They, you know, they, matter of fact, they prefer the booth, I should say. They prefer the booth. They don't like to call plays from the sideline. Everybody's got their preference. But remember Tom Herman, he didn't like calling plays from the sideline. He preferred – 
being, you know, away from the madness of the sideline in the calm well, of and, the booth up top. And being able to see the game from the over, like be able to overview the game and be able to see yeah. an entire line. When you're on the field, you can't really necessarily from a sideline with everything else going on pick apart a defense as quickly as you can from up in the booth. Yeah, you want the, uh, the what they call the all-22 view, the coach's view, the, yes. the bird's-eye view. Yep. And I'm with you. I don't know how coaches – I would rather be up to have the all-22 view myself. If I was a play caller, I would not want to be on the sideline because I'm with you. I don't think I, – I can't have a the I can't have the most thorough, expansive view of everything. I'm, I'm, I have to be missing something from that viewpoint on the sideline. But I know a lot of guys, my man Shannon included, Sark, all those guys, You, if you're going to be the head coach and call plays, you can't do it from the booth. No, and I think you, you need to have a guy up there that can at least give you in that your you headset trust. that you trust that yeah. goes up there and goes, watch the safety. Or, hey, the left linebacker, left outside linebacker's moving. And something where you can go, okay, now I can see what's happening, but I need somebody with the, the major view to be able to tell me to catch it because their viewpoint is everything all at once, and I have to move my head to see what I'm looking at. Yep, and, uh, and I got this little say, AM's defense has only allowed – uh, thirty plus points in thir- in thirteen games under Jimbo. Um, and Jimbo's record in the SEC, I believe he's undefeated when he scores more than thirty points. He's eleven and twenty two when scoring less than thirty at at A and M. And so he, I mean, that to me is going to be big for them because that defense. I think the defense is going to be stout and ready to go. And by the way, by Petrino. I think the last year he was at Missouri State, his team was scoring 27 points per game. He was at Missouri State, though, and I think in 2021 it was at 34 point, uh, a little over 34 points per game. So, I mean, that's where they need to be. They can be at between 27 and 30-some points per game. The Aggies are going to win. They're going to win more games than we think. And, and I still think it will be interesting to see because we know that uh, the athletic director and probably some people in the, within the program outside of – Jimbo will be pushing if the offense starts off slow to make sure Bobby is in complete control of that offense. But Jimbo Fisher has that massive buyout, and I think he knows well enough to. You're not going to fire me, so uh, I, I will push back in every sense of the way. I'm not going to give up any of my control. Uh, my man, CB says, "What has Petrino done since Lamar Jackson?" It's a good point. I mean, you can argue that you know he hasn't been. Um, impressive or really hasn't been stellar as a play caller since Lamar Jackson, but he's better than Jimbo. <laughs> he's an upgrade over Jimbo. I think we'd all agree with that. I mean, uh, Jimbo right, hasn't a, done anything since James Winston, right? That's very true. That is also the criticism of him, too. Yeah, that basic. Well, you know what? I, and that's a great point, too. I mean, you can put that out there with a lot of great coordinators that, hey, man, they've been linked with a great quarterback. That's usually the case. It's a chicken or the egg thing, right? Yeah. It's like, well, was it the great the scheme and the play calling that helped the quarterback maximize and weaponize the quarterback skills, or was that quarterback uh, playing at such a high level that you know the coaching necessarily didn't matter? The coaching yeah. took a back seat. The scheme took a back seat. It's a chicken or the egg kind of thing. We we had a discussion in the NFL all the time about Hall of Fame. How many Hall of Fame coaches in the NFL are not linked? All right, are not linked, or you know, they are not synonymous with a Hall of Fame quarterback in that same like tenure that they were linked with. It's only like a few guys. It's Bill Parcells is one of those guys. Um, hell, uh, Joe Gibbs I think is one of those guys. There ain't a lot of them. Most Hall of Fame coaches in the NFL, there's a Hall of Fame quarterback that we 
you know, that we associate with that head coach. And that's why I, I, look, I always give a lot of props to, like, Gibbs and Bill Parcells. To win multiple Super Bowls without a Hall of Fame quarterback being linked to you, that's tough. <laughs> that's hard to do. Uh, okay, let's get to the, uh, the other sound here. This is a uh, sound of J- Jimbo being asked about the Texas-Oklahoma game. And here are his thoughts. Here is uh, Jimbo at SEC Media Days. I know it's still one year away, but give us your thoughts on uh, playing your old rival, uh, Texas, again, either every year or every other year. I think it's great. I think it's great for college football. I think it's great for Texas and Texas, Texas A&M. I mean, I think anytime the old rivalries are renewed, I've you know been a lot of rivalries, been fortunate to be in college football a long time and being some of the great rivalries in college football. And this one, A&M and Texas definitely is a great rivalry. And I think it's great for us and it's great for them and it's great for college football in general. And I'm uh, very excited for it to happen. Uh, here you go. Everybody's excited for it. I do think for the first time in 25 years or at least – since I went to Texas, that the Texas Texas A&M game will be bigger than the Texas OU game in 2024. First time in a long time that will be the case, just because everybody hadn't seen the rivalry in a while. It's you know, there's been a lot of build up to it, and hopefully both of the programs are trending in the right direction. That would also help. Uh, Jimbo was also asked about the play calling, going back to you know the offense and how it's going to look. He didn't want to comment and get uh, obviously in detail about that, but he was also asked about the play calling in terms of the responsibilities, the delegation of you know those duties, who's going to be uh, you know calling the plays. Here is Jimbo Fisher when asked about the play calling now that Bobby Petrino is the OC. But by Petrino, I think it's the first time he's been an assistant since 2002. So he's used to calling plays, mm-hmm. being the guy in charge. You, you've been calling plays for, probably mm-hmm. forever. So what's the dynamic going to be like on game day? Does he have total freedom to call the plays? And kind of how will that work? And is it hard for you to give up you know, play calling? No, it, it, there's a lot of things, and you're still involved in what goes on. I'm not going to get into what we're doing, how we're doing it. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to avoid anything. I just don't want to. Create you, you create advantages or narratives out there for what goes on. But listen, I, Bobby was hired for a reason, and he's a tremendous coach and tremendous guy and a tremendous uh, football mind, tremendous recruit. He's done a great job recruiting since he's been there, uh, everything he does. And uh, now he'll call a lot of – I mean, hopefully he'll call the game. We'll have suggestions on things we do, and whether it's offense, defense. Every coach is always involved. That's, it's a more collective thing than people want to give it room for. And then when, but when you get to calling, you get on a roll, you got to have a guy that can do it. And I think Bobby can definitely do that. He doesn't as well as anybody in college football. I have great respect for me and him. I've always, we've had a great admiration for each other for a long time and his knowledge and his production and what he's done. I'm not sure if he answered the question or not, actually. Uh, that was a great job of him giving a lot of information without saying anything at all. And I'll give Jimbo credit for that. I, I do think he is open to letting Bobby Petrino call the plays. I think it's tough for him to let go of all of that control. I, my prediction, Bobby Petrino is going to start off calling the plays. Yeah, and I mean, the that's what it seemed like. He spoke. Yeah, that's what I think too. Yeah, it seemed, it seemed like when he said, he said the phrase, hopefully he'll call the plays. Like, did you not ask him when you hired him? If he was okay with this, <laughs> it seems like that should have been in the job interview. <laughs> but <laughs> I, yeah, I think it, it seems as if he's saying, hey, I hope that he calls plays that I approve of so he can continue to call plays. That's what it sounds like he's saying. I'm going to let him call some plays. But we're basically going to sit there in that week one meeting, and I'm going to tell him if I believe that the game plan he's putting together is right or if I need to call the plays because I don't trust him. 
Yep, and I think he'll also not only do what you just mentioned there, they'll come up with the game plan together and Jimbo will approve it, but during game there will be veto power on that headset. And basically, I think that's what Jimbo means by, like, I hope he'll be calling the plays, but if he calls something I don't like, then I'm going to change the damn play. It's going to be my play. So I think that's why he means by suggestions. Basically that everything by Petrino calls is a suggestion because ultimately – it could end up vetoed, and he could call something else because he has to go through Jimbo's headphones. And if Jimbo stops it and vetoes and says, no, nah, I don't like that, let's go with this, then Jimbo ultimately is going to be the, the winning authority in that situation. So maybe he, maybe you're right. Maybe suggestion was the, the right term. Maybe that's the right usage of it, that they're all suggestions until they actually become they, – they are confirmed and approved by Jimbo Fisher. It, they're just suggestions, brother. Oh man! Actually, now actually now I kind of like the audio. Now it actually makes more sense if they are indeed just suggestions by Byron Petrino. I, I, but I love, suggest that he take it. Yeah, I just love the. Hopefully, he'll be calling plays. Like you're the head coach, bro. <laughs> you. What is this? Hopefully. He's. I think he means if they're good play calls, yeah. well, they'll be his play calls. If they're not, then I'll be calling the plays. And I hopefully wonder if he don't let screw us this know up. games. <laughs> basically, uh, but I, I can't. I, I think he's going to call the plays. I think Mike Petrino will be calling plays. There will be veto power, which has existed for every head coach on every, well, most, you know, football organizations and football programs. Head coach has veto power if that side of the ball is his expertise, right? If D'Amico Ryans has some guy calling the defensive plays for the Texans next season, I guarantee you D'Amico will have veto power to say, I don't quite like that call. Let's go with this call. So I was hoping that we'd be on the same. It's almost a – and honestly, I bet Patrick works like a trust exercise at times from the head coach as if I would love for us to be on the same page. Let's yeah. see if we're on the same page. Exactly. I'm thinking this. Let's see if my coordinator is thinking the same thing I'm thinking. And when, they, and when, you, when it's confirmed and y'all are on the same page, it's so gratifying and satisfying for us to go, yes, that's exactly what I would have called. And when you don't or you're not on the same page you know, for the coach, maybe he sends your call in because he doesn't have a better one, or maybe he vetoes the call. But either way, I think the coach would ultimately like synchronicity and uh, unanimity. In yeah. that proceed, and if, even if it's hey man, it's third and third and two, and you called a deep bomb, and I wanted to run it up the middle. Well, guess what? You're not calling plays for the next seven or eight plays because now I'm pissed off because you threw <laughs> exactly. a deep bomb and it was it was intercepted or out in that. We could have got it, and you you made me look yeah. like an idiot out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, there'll be some of that, and yeah, you're talking about two prideful guys, so I'm sure there'll be a lot of that. Uh, okay, we come back. We uh, we'll save the uh, Sankey comments for a little bit later because I want to get into some comments from Justin Fields. Yes, that Justin Fields, Chicago Bears quarterback. He apparently uh, made a claim that he himself, yes, he's already top five all time in this category. He's already called. He said, I'm top five greatest all time in NFL history in this category. We will discuss when we come back right here on Ball Don't Lie. I want to put on the horn. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Um, I came across this story, um, and it was just a story I'm sure that's not going to ma- – maybe it will make a lot of headlines, or maybe it will go viral. Who knows? But it's uh, some Justin Fields audio, and he was being asked about his list of top five running quarterbacks in NFL history because he – remember, he last year became only the third quarterback in NFL history – uh, to have a thousand rushing yards in a single season, All right? So he was he set some records for he set a record for rushing yards for a Bears quarterback. So the interviewers asked him about, hey man, who are your favorite all time or your top all time great rushing dual threat quarterbacks? Here is what Justin Fields ended up saying in the interview. Being a historian of the game, watching the game, mm-hmm. if you had to rank your top five quarterbacks in regards to running. In regards to running? Yeah. Uh, and you can throw yourself in the list, too. Oh, I am. Because I definitely think I am. Uh, okay, so start with Justin. He's in the top five. I'm running definitely in the top five. No order. But I got to go with my boy Mike Vick. Yep. Um, got to go with Cam. Uh, Lamar, of course. Yeah. Me, and then final. Steve Young, too. Steve Young. Steve nice. Young. Steve Shots Young out to nice. Steve Young. Okay, yeah, I like nice that. Too. I like that. All right. You know what? Okay, let's, let's break down this list really quickly. He's got Lamar Jackson, Michael Vick on there, and they've got to be on there because there have only been three quarterbacks to rush for 1,000 yards, and two of those are Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson. So we've got to respect that. Justin Fields the third, so Justin Fields may have a case here. Steve Young has got to be on the list because Steve Young is one of the few dual-threat quarterbacks to actually win a Super Bowl. I've, I've said it before, you go look at – quarterbacks who've rushed for at least 400 yards in a season and won a Super Bowl at any point in their career. So I'm talking about quarterbacks who rushed for 400 yards at any point in their career and also won a Super Bowl. There's only two of those guys. It's Russell Wilson and Steve Young. Yeah, Russell Wilson's the only one to do it in the same season. Um, But Steve Young, of course, was able to do it too. Not a lot of quarterbacks, you know, were, were able to you know, be a prolific rusher and also a prolific passer and lead their team to a Super Bowl. You just don't have a lot of examples of it. And since Steve Young is in that group, Steve Young's got to be on there. You, it, but prior to this season, people probably would have put Russell Wilson on there prior to 2022 because he deserves to be on there too. Like I said, only two quarterbacks have rushed for at least 400 yards at any point in their career and also won a Super Bowl. That's Steve Young. That's Russell Wilson. And there have been three of that rush for 1,000 yards, Vic, Lamar Jackson. Um, but Lamar Jackson's got an MVP on his resume. And Vic has got kind of the, uh, the mythology. Honestly, there's arguments to be made that maybe Justin Fields can surpass some things Michael Vick did. But Michael Vick in pop culture and the mythology and folklore surrounding Michael Vick, Justin Fields will never catch up to that. So Vic is on the list. A lot 
because of his accomplishment, what he did, and the freakish outlier he was athletically, but also because of what he became in terms of his crossover pop culture appeal. And he had the, you know, the, the, the fall from grace and the redemption and all that. That does matter in your overall story and legacy. So that's why Vic's on there, too. So for Justin Fields to put himself on there, and Cam Newton was an MVP. All right, Cam Newton's an MVP, so Cam Newton deserves to be on there, too, as a dual-threat quarterback who took the world by storm. Justin Fields, like I said, it's hard to say he can't be on there when he's already rushed for 1,000 yards. But there's definitely some guys that eh, maybe deserve to be in that top five as all-time great dual-threat quarterbacks. They're not getting recognized. Somebody's going to get shafted. Because I, I always say that Randall Cunningham should get some love, too. Yep. And he doesn't get enough love for dual-threat quarterbacks. How about this? I went and looked at because I'm a, I'm a freak. I ain't got nothing else going on. I went and looked at quarterbacks who led their team in passing and rushing in the same season throughout NFL history. I found 25 instances, 14 total players who have led their team in rushing and passing since 1960. But we can make it a little bit more relevant and obviously recent. Since 2012, there have been seven players and 11 instances of a player leading his team in rushing and leading his team in passing. By the way, Lamar Jackson has did it, has done it in 2019, 2020, 21, and 22. He's done it four straight years. <laughs> Let us see with rushing and passing. That's crazy and freaky. Uh, and Randall Cunningham did the same thing. Randall Cunningham in four years. They were four. It was in 87, 88, 89, and 90. Just like Lamar Jackson, in four straight years, he led the Philadelphia Eagles in rushing and in passing. That is some freaky stuff. And but what's more impressive is, are you winning games? Uh, yeah, you can do that impressive stuff, lead your team in rushing and passing, but are you able to translate that into victories? I will say that Randall Cunningham did a good job of it. He had three out of those four seasons where he led the team in rushing and passing. He had a 10-6 season, 11-5 season, and a 10-6 season. Uh, if you go look at Lamar Jackson, the four seasons that he did it, Lamar Jackson 13 and 2, 11 and 4, 8 and 4, and 7 and 5. Uh, Donovan McNabb led the team in rushing and passing. They went 11 and 5 that year. Cam Newton done it, did it twice. They went 7 and 9, and then 11 and 5. The other year he did it. I mean, they're only they're, in my research. They're only man. They're only like. Seven times that I count here. Actually, I take that back. There have been maybe nine times where the quarterback who led a team in rushing and passing also led his team to a winning record. And even fewer double-digit win seasons. That's only happened seven times or six times, actually. I take that back, six times. So for if you're going to look at dual-threat quarterbacks, that is the most extreme example. Who can lead their team in rushing and passing doesn't happen a lot. Last guy to do it was Justin Fields, right, because Justin Fields did it in 2022. Jalen Hurts did it in 2021, and I just talked about Lamar Jackson. He's done it four straight years. That's just kind of his calling card. But you're going to see more and more with these records broken because the league is becoming more of a dual-threat quarterback league. But – it's it's still a league that has some reservations about going all in on a dual threat quarterback, whether that's because of injuries or whether that's because I think it's more because of re, a lack of recent success. Like I said, you look at the quarterbacks who have been running rushing threats 
and how many of them have led their team to the ultimate prize, to the promised land, to win a Super Bowl? It's only been two. It's Russell Wilson and there's Steve Young. And the reason that I think that, you know, a lot of teams are a little bit reluctant to go all in on dual-threat quarterbacks at times is because of that. Now, it shouldn't be, but they're just, they don't have a lot of examples of recent success. I always compare it to dating a stripper. Like, is dating a stripper is fun, and everybody likes it, and it's exciting and uh, very entertaining, all right? Ain't nothing boring about dating a stripper. But you don't take the stripper home to meet mom while she's stripping. Now, after she strips and when she's in nursing school and she's decided to change her career, that's when she can go home and meet mama. Because when mama asks her what you do for a living, you can't be lying to my mama. And you also can't be telling her you're a stripper because mama ain't going to go for that. Because mama is from Louisiana and mama is very, very old school. All right. And most people feel like that. That's why strippers, not a lot of them are in long term uh, relationships. Not a lot of them married. Less than 10% of strippers are married. It's a tough life to be married to a stripper. And it's a tough, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a tough situation to be in to be handcuffed to a dual threat quarterback when you don't really know if it's going to lead to long-term success when that dual threat quarterback like the stripper changes their career and the dual threat quarterback becomes more of a pocket passer that you can count on to win the game in the pocket when necessary that's when that quarterback like steve young and like a russell wilson they evolve from being just a dual threat running quarterback to being an all-around weapon at the quarterback position and that's what you want that's the evolution of the Dual threat quarterback, evolution of the stripper. Can Same. I throw you one more name in there? Go ahead. Steve McNair. That is a good one. And That's I believe he was around 400 yards when they were two yards short of winning a Super Bowl. So he was around yeah, right. that at that point. So he did not win a Super Bowl, but he would have been – he was a few yards short of that stat. Yep. Now nah, you're right about that. You're right. Damn, I forget how And that's with were. Jeff right. Fisher. <laughs> That's with Jeff Fisher. He gets extra credit points. So, you get extra yeah. credit points, man. <laughs> All right, you know what? You're right. Considering Jeff Fisher's his coaching expertise or lack thereof almost led to the downfall of Nick Foles, who after being with Jeff Fisher wanted to become a man of the cloth and join the church. Uh, also, Jared Goff, and we thought he was a bust under Jeff Fisher. And I think Case Keenum's thrown in there too as a guy that underachieved under Jeff Fisher. Oh, Jeff Fisher will bring out the worst in you. That's what he did. Uh, that's a good point there. All right, we come back. We'll get into another off the record right here on Bondo Loud. What a point down the horn. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Top of the charts Tuesday. That's when my man Patrick, the Idillionaire, plays jams that reach the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. All right, we don't have a ton of time for off the record, so I got a quick story here. Sports-related, but still, man, mind-blowing nevertheless. Remember Russell Okung, the uh, Oklahoma State offensive tackle, went to the NFL, played in the NFL for, hell, I think a decade plus. I think he played in the NFL for like uh, 11, 12 years. He just revealed on a podcast that he lost more than 50 pounds in 40 days after going those 40 days drinking only water, Patrick, no food. He fasted. Oh, no. Fasted for 40 days and lost 50 pounds. That can't be healthy. 
I don't think so either. Now, he did weigh more than 300 pounds because he was an offensive tackle, um, but he fasted earlier this year, did the same thing earlier this year, and he lost more than 100 pounds. And now he is losing more weight. So he's, he's at 100. Now I think he's at 192 pounds after completing his second round of fasting over the weekend. So basically he's lost uh, over 100 pounds total from this, these two fasting uh, experiments that he's done where he only drinks water and no food at all. I don't know. I've heard of I, – I know that there's monks that will just drink beer the whole time. I might be able to do that better. <laughs> yeah, uh, long, that's a long-term fact. I couldn't do that. That's, no. I couldn't even – if I smell food – Man, imagine how ravenous you'd be when you just smell food after, like, 20 days of that. I couldn't even be around anybody cooking food, honestly, at that point. No. No, I couldn't. No, you'd have to. I couldn't be around people. Just in general, <laughs> yeah, yeah. how mean I would be to everybody. Like, can, yeah, you imagine, sugar, can you imagine every time you got an email from work? You basically, like, every time you got an email, and they're just like, hey, could you uh, – could you send me that sheet of paper? You'd be like, I sent it to you two weeks ago, and you can't even lock up your <laughs> every time. That is that is how my mindset would be if you tried to have oh. me just drink water. I'm with you because my wife gets hangry. Uh, hell, after a few hours of not having food, I can't imagine after 40 days. This man has got some mental fortitude, and his hell, little testicular fortitude too, but his mental focus and mental strength is unbelievable. That's because it's basically, I mean, you can survive, but, yeah, man, think about the, like I said, just the uh, ability, the self-control after 40 days not to crack, not to get a peanut, some chips, like something. Oh, man. God bless I don't know. Man. I don't know if I've gone 40 days without queso before. <laughs> just in general. <laughs> oh, that's no, dude, there's no way I've gone 40 days without queso. I got queso in my fridge right now. <laughs> There's no way. If I live in Texas, we haven't gone 40 days without queso. No way. 40 days, just water. Be like, well, he's, he's queso water? <laughs> just drink queso. There's water in it. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, oh, man. All right. I don't know where Russell Okung lives, but I got to tell you, man, that's not a good compliment for the restaurants up there because I wouldn't be able to handle myself in Austin. Too many good places to eat. All right, we come back. We'll uh, get to uh, pay some bills here, and then we'll come back 6 o'clock hour. We got NFL news notes and nuggets. It's a quarterback ranking I want to get to. There's also this running back depression, the market depression for running backs we have to discuss as well. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.